Happy Friday here at The Base. I am uh, your host, Frederick Curtis. I guess I'm a political strategist. We'll just go with that for this week. I should be consistent about that, but I'm not. Um, along with our other host, Becca Nyberg. Becca, immigration attorney and political strategist. That's the, yeah. The immigration got attorney, I, I wear that hat all the time and then, you know, switch them out a little bit. Yeah, you've got consistency. I just, I do different things depending on the week, so... <laughs> keeping it keeping it new keeping it interesting not a bad thing yeah how was your thanksgiving it was good i didn't follow guidance and i traveled and oh, i know you're a bad lover. but did not expose anybody more than i needed to so stayed stayed distance where I, when i got to where i was going how about more that? than you needed to <laughs> i'm telling you except for the airports and the airplanes like it was fine but yeah we still apparently need some uh, instruction on how to wear masks correctly. Yeah, people just, some folks just refuse to like put it over their nose. It's almost, I think they think it's like a badge of honor, like a protest or something. Um, I don't know. It's like, all right, dude, do your thing. But Whatever. I mean, you know, if people died from the daggers coming from my eyes, I, I would have been arrested <laughs> multiple times. Oh, I had to fly a couple months ago and there was this lady who just refused to put her put her mask over her nose and I just I think I probably gave her the death glare at least 15 times and I'm sure she picked up one at about point number eight and it was glorious I just kept doing it and it was a long flight too I went to the west coast it was like five and a half hours and just like put your mask on dude or ma'am or by non binary person person there you go we're inclusive here um so (laughs) anyway no I mean I'm not one of those people that's like oh you know you shouldn't be traveling or anything like that look nine months to be stuck in the house is a long time like people needed to see family and whatnot last week the only thing i am encouraging people to do is like yeah if you did travel like please go get a test and or just like self-isolate like if you do one of those things i mean i you know yeah we're we're testing today because we had to you know wait the time period so that it would possibly pick up anything that we you know picked up on our way back so Mm, that is definitely on the plan you are good liberals very proud very proud to be associated um um, to everyone talk about something that maybe some folks aren't so proud to be associated with or or a part of that's uh we're back to defund the police um which you know we talked about this a lot a couple of weeks ago, it's probably the main focal point of the show. Um, and it doesn't seem like it's a conversation that's going anywhere, which I think encapsulates the Democratic Party to a T in that you just beat an incumbent president um, <clears throat> and you still have the House of Representatives. And yet we're December 3rd, getting ready to have a new administration in, you know, 50, 60 some odd days. Uh, and we're, we're talking about a term. Um, Well, we're talking about messaging and we're talking about the past intruding on the present. Yes. Uh, Speaking of the past, and, you know, I have lots of feels uh, about President Obama. Overall, they're 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 good. But I've personally sort of gone on this uh, this journey to actually be a little more not critical to review his record more. Like I, I don't I personally don't like doing that. In the first four years or the you know immediate sort of aftermath of the president you know leaving office just because I mean, it you just shouldn't do it um anyway maybe that's a different thing maybe we do a series like the obama years talk about foreign policy and economics and all that kind of stuff um 
<clears throat> that actually sounds pretty good to me. You were laughing. Um, but <laughs> um, the that's the, also your Reagan rant. That's that's what it harkens back to. Is your you know, I'm, I'm never. I'm actually going to do a series on the Reagan years because the Reagan years continue to define our politics today. And honestly, we haven't reckoned with that as a party, and that is why we keep losing. To be totally honest with you, we still live in Reagan's America, and we refuse to acknowledge it. And I think this term actually shows that. Uh, um, but anyway. Um, so just to, to, you know, sort of set the stage for those who might have not heard about it, Barack Obama always got this new book out too, by the way, A Promised Land. It's the first part of his two-part presidential memoir. I'm not buying it um, and I'm not reading it either. So in full disclosure, I will be honest with people. Uh, and I'm a reader. I just, you know, I lived through those years. I was very in tune with it. You know, I watched a lot of news and read it and, you know, worked on Capitol Hill, went to the, like, I, I don't need to read that right now, maybe in a decade. Anyway, um, he started chastising, I think, Democratic political, you know, candidates and whatnot um, for the defund the police term. And he said, quote, you lost a big audience the minute you say it, it isn't defund the police, which makes it a lot less likely that you're actually going to get the changes you want done. Uh, the key is deciding, do you want to actually get something done? Or do you want to feel good among the people you already agree with? End quote. Um, is he, is he, does he have a point? I mean, if so, if you uh, go on and he says, let's, he says, but if you instead say, let's reform the police department so that everybody's being treated fairly, you know, divert young people from getting into crime. And if there's a homeless guy, maybe we can send a mental health worker there instead of an armed unit that could end up resulting in a tragedy. Yeah, it sounds vaguely familiar. It's almost like, you know, we said very similar things on a previous podcast. Um, so, I mean, he's talking about messaging. And, you know, I've seen a lot of backlash over the last, I don't know, 24 hours or whatever it is about, you know, these are, this was a slogan that came out of hurt. It came out of pain. Yeah. Um, and how could we be silencing or trying to um, censor? <laughs> <laughs> crazy cat lady strikes again uh, right like what <laughs> uh you know so sh should we try and censor you know those voices those harm you know those voices that are coming out of pain especially when a lot of those voices are you know black and brown people you know minorities in general that kind of thing how could we possibly be trying to censor them and Although I take that point and, you know, it means, it means a lot to me, you know, we kind of lost the context of the statement that Obama made. And the question he was responding to was basically, why won't politicians use this term? Yeah. Well, here's why, <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it makes really logical sense. So, you know, if you're out demonstrating and you need, you know, that snappy slogan, you know, I mean, I don't think there's any problem in doing that, but you know, the ones who are making the laws, the politicians, the, the lawmakers, that kind of thing need to bring it back to something where it's not going to have that gut check reaction from the other side. Yeah. And, you know, it's more about time and place um, for things. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I, I don't know what else to say about that is, you know, you can't take a quote out of context and expect it to work, you know, in every single way. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, I was talking to one of my, one of my, you know, guys I talked to a lot about politics and we were just going on about how being a member supporter or whatever it is, a democratic party of progressive politics is just, it's just exhausting. 
Um, and it's, it's disconcerting, it's disheartful. Uh, and it makes you wonder if you're ever going to see any actual genuine change uh, while you're actually on this earth because of reasons like this. And I saw Elon Omar, I saw Charles Booker, I saw, you know, some, a bunch of other people, um, you know, <clears throat> quote, tweet the, the comment from Obama and basically say, oh, we didn't lose Breonna Taylor because of a slogan. You know, it's not just a slogan. Police are taking people away. And, you know, one, I don't think I don't think he's saying, oh, we we are losing lives to police hands because of a slogan like the 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 attacks and the counterpoints to what he's saying are starting to become red herrings. Um, and and that is the problem with this party is that th there is just this consistent there's there's a wing of the party that is just consistently hell bent on sitting in their ivory tower, being right and not adapting to the times. And that is why we have not consistently won elections since the 1970s. Um, and, and because I, and, and I, I'll clarify something last week. I don't think it's a matter of people, like activists don't need to not use the term. Community organizers don't need to not use it. If you're an activist, if you're a community organizer, if you've been doing this work within this realm for years, we're not telling you to stop using the slogan defund the police. That, you know, you, you created it, you've built workshops and curriculum and relationships around it. Like, I don't think anyone is saying like <clears throat> activist communities, people and organizations who legitimately focus full time, because there are a lot of them who are doing work, who are nameless to, you know, to defund the police and put more money into community resources. I don't think anybody's saying y'all shouldn't use this. What we're saying is that the Democratic Party, one of the largest organizations in the history of human history, uh, has a responsibility to be to be a, a decently ran organization and to spend millions of dollars to poll and do focus groups around how do we frame this messaging so that it reaches the maximum amount of people, period. And so any 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 pushback to the idea that maybe in national democratic electoral politics we shouldn't use this term, I think is a clear acknowledgement that I just don't understand how this game is played. I have no desire in obtaining power. I have no desire in actually changing policy. Instead, I just want to be right and sit in my ivory tower and not have to change anything that doesn't feel like it should be changed to me. Because while we're sitting here- Well, but to push back from the other side, you know, I think they would say the same thing. You know, these politicians sit there and they say that they support us. And then when it comes down to it, what do they actually do? Well, yeah. I mean, that's a different conversation. But that's the, but that's the pushback from the other side. If you're saying, you know, the- the activists that are saying, you know, you should be using these terms, you know, Obama, what are you, you know, how could you possibly have said this kind of thing? You know, the other side is we, you, we have to be somewhat drastic because when we don't try and be drastic, when we try and moderate or, you know, go towards the middle, then we don't get anything done. And haven't we tried that? And isn't that not good enough? Aren't we better as a country? Can't we move the needle more, you know, by, by actually asking for more? And, you know, if you look at, you know, I don't know what it's actually called, I call it compromise theory, right? You can look at any set of two people, right? And, you know, using numbers is the easiest way. Whatever the numbers they give you are, if you ask them to come to a settlement, they're gonna end up in the middle. Uh -huh. So if you start at zero and I start at a thousand, we'll end up right around 500. If you start at zero and I start at 2000, we don't end up at 500 anymore. 
we end up at a thousand because that's the middle point. So we're each, you know, giving, 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 and we give the same amount, we come to the same place. But, you know, there's something to be said for if I start really, really far to one side, we're going to end up much closer, you know, to where we want to end up. I mean, assuming the other person would actually come to the table, right? You know, if I'm so far apart, do you actually sit down with me? Because you're like, you're crazy, $2,000? You know, this is nothing, you know, as opposed to a thousand. Okay, well, we can work with that. You know, so, I mean, there is, you know, do you come to the table at all? But once you're at the table, that compromise theory says we're going to end up in the middle. So shouldn't we be starting from further off? Uh, and with this, no. Uh, and that's just my, that's my, and, and, and the reason for that is there are, look, everything in America is based on race. I mean, period. That's just historically fact. You can argue with that. Go read a book. Um, our, our politics is extremely <clears throat> racially charged. All politics, identity politics. There is nothing more steeped in racial identity than police. And so to me, it's not a matter of like if 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 you want to overhaul an education system or you want to overhaul healthcare or social security, child care, whatever it is, those are uniquely things that every human being in America, regardless of their skin tone, where they come from, so on and so forth, have some sort of vested interest in and have equal uh, appreciation for, if that makes sense. But the history of policing in this country, what it has been, what it continues to be, you are never going to get to a point to where Black people and white people started any sort of basis of negotiation of understanding when it comes to police. And so my, my argument is defund the police sounds too much like F the police. And, and, and you, the, the expectation that you're going to be able to have someone want to sit down at the table with that term, I think is just, it's just, it's just a little bit too far-fetched um, because, because it, because police it's, it's the, it is the impetus. It is the very thing that is so uniquely racially charged in this country. And, 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 and I think that that's where a lot of the pushback for me comes from. It's like, look, you know, how I feel about law enforcement and in general, I think we I honestly think we live in a police state. I mean, everything, you, you know, we could talk about how kids are tracked from third grade and how we have SROs who are told by school districts to make sure you keep an eye on this second grader. Like, you know, so I, I, I resent, and I'm not going to entertain anybody who's like, you know, you're a little Clarence Thomas house, like, no. Um, but I also understand politics. Like I run campaigns for a living. Uh, and anytime I run a campaign and I'm going to, and I going to spend more than $150,000, always do a poll. That is one of the first things you do. It's not a matter of, do I actually, you don't poll to figure out what you actually believe in. Because if you got a decent candidate, you're going to stick to what it is you believe in regardless. You poll to figure out how is the, what is the best way to convey that message and what message is going to stick most positively to the people who you're trying to convince. That is the essence of politics. And if we start getting into a political specter to where we think it's okay to just, we want to say this, we're going to say this. If you don't like it, you're not with us. That's not politics. That can be solid activism. It can be solid education, but politics is very much so a game. The idea and the impetus behind all this is we've got this pool of resources. How do we go about making negotiations and deals and educating people so that we can get more of these resources than the other? And I just, I don't see a way in doing that with such a dogmatic view of messaging. I just don't, but. Well, but at the same time, 
the other side does it, right? The Republicans sit there, you know, they sat there for eight years. I don't care what you bring in front of me. I'm not passing anything that this president wants. But they can afford to do that. We can't. I mean, and sometimes you got to recognize the game is not played on equal footing. And I think that's what we're really not acknowledging. Like enough, like we keep saying, oh, it's like we're just a bunch of little kids sitting in the corner crying, saying, oh, that's not fair. And Mitch McConnell, Kevin McCarthy and everybody else is just like, you'll be all right. Shut the hell up. And we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. Like, I don't think they even give us that much. Yeah, it's just I think it's more like, OK, you know, like at some <laughs> point, like I, I, I get it. Right. Should we have to change the messaging? No, we shouldn't. Like, so I, I think that's one of the things I want to be clear on. It's just defund the police should not be a problem or troublesome slogan you know we shouldn't have to you know uh, dumb down certain aspects of you know who and what we are what we believe in but you know even the word socialism yeah that's got to go too to be totally honest like we've created an environment for 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 better or for worse in which there are just very clearly terms and buzzwords and slogans that we are not going to be able to be successful with. And like, if we want to keep pretending like this world is already the world that we're hoping we live in in 2060 to where we're a majority minority country, cool. But like, if you want to wait four decades for change, keep sitting on your dogmatic high horse about not changing messaging. But if you want to actually move things forward while you still have hair that's not gray, there's got to be some ability to think about, okay, th these this is, I'll, I'll, I'll try to rubber, you know, sort of package it this way. We keep living in the world as it should be, not the world as it is. And, well, and, and so speaking of future, looking for the new Biden administration into the future, you know, what are, you know, what are we seeing there? Are we seeing, you know, are we seeing anything moving the needle? Because I've seen a lot of, you know, kind of chatter of both excitement that, you know, the last four years are going to be over um, and a lot of chatter of like, well, what are we actually going to achieve here? I think it'll be business as usual. I mean, I, I honestly, I was, my thing with Biden was always like, look, let's get rid of the fascist nightmare. And then I always thought this year was a survival election. That's what 2020 was. It's meant for us to get rid of Trump and survive. 2024 is when you can start trying to have a revolution again. I don't have high expectations for this administration, to be totally honest. That's just me. Um, <clears throat> but we've got way less damage to try to dig ourselves out of in 2024 for example, with four years of Biden instead of eight years of Trump. But maybe, you know, maybe you've got more faith in, uh, in our, in our Biden-Harris administration. We'd love for you to provide some optimism here. Well, I mean, look at who he's putting into those leadership positions. We've never seen so many women. We've never seen so many minorities in top positions, you know, near and dear to my heart, you know, secretary of DHS is going to be the first Cuban American, the first um, Latino person in that role. I mean, this is, it's historic. It's groundbreaking, you know, a fully female, uh, comms team again, you know, regardless of, you know, what anybody says the most diverse in history, right. Cause there's, you know, we've never seen that before. So, I mean, looking forward, is it really business as usual when you have these different voices at the table? I mean, I don't know if any team that has fully one gender is good. Um, and I, I, I probably get slept flack for that, but I, I mean, <laughs> I'll push back on you hard for that one yeah. because we've been sitting here with all male, you know, and I'm not saying that's okay. No. And I'm not saying that, you know, I think that you are, but why not go and see, you know, what the other side will bring and, you know, and also recognizing that again, 
nobody's a monolith. Not all females are the same. Not all people of one race are the same. You know, we've got all of that in there too, but I mean, why not? Yeah, no, I mean, I'll push back there. It's just like, we have progressively lost a larger percentage of black male votes in each of the past couple of presidential elections. And so like, I do think there needs, I think Democrats run the possibility of further alienating, uh, further alienating black men and losing a, a larger percentage of that vote in 2024. That's a different conversation. Um, but, you know, yeah, I mean, look, I, I, maybe I'm just becoming a little more cynical and that might just be what it is. You know, I don't, I don't care about diversity and appointments. I mean, I think that's important. Um, I'm very happy to see, you know, that there's a all women comps team. I'm very happy to see more black people, Latinx people and other people of color get put into positions, but like policy, it's about policy and <clears throat> policy and courts. And, you know, Republicans seem to get that and we don't. And, you know, and that's why we live in a world where we've got a six to three conservative Supreme Court and, you know, why income inequality is the largest it's, you know, kind of ever been in this country uh, in the industrialized era. And if you can't tell, I'm just a little dis disheartened <laughs> because uh, it's just it's a it's a refusal to 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 play the game on on by the rules and on the terms and the ground that it currently needs to be played. And it's just, is there any hope for any actual change? Yeah, we get a few people who from diverse backgrounds who are going to benefit from, you know, this or that. And, you know, yeah, representation is important. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, do, do are we going to get universal health care? Are we going to get universal child care stipends? Are we going to get, <clears throat> you know, are, are we, are we going to see, you know, monopoly companies broken up? Are we going to see Google and Amazon and Facebook you know, have larger regulations, like, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't see it, unfortunately. I mean, isn't that a little too much for the next four years? I mean, aren't we just basically cleaning up the, the house after it's been trashed from the most mega house party that's ever gone on? Can we really, you know, expect to be moving the needle forward at this point? I mean, there are so many directives, executive orders, you know, things that have not gone through law, because I mean, to be fair, we don't have the Senate and we may not have the Senate and we can't count on having the Senate. So how is it that, you know, we can say, oh, let's, you know, really move the needle forward in this administration when the Senate and Mitch McConnell's just going to sit there and be like, nope. That's part of the messaging problem to me, though, is we don't have the Senate because we don't message well. I mean, that, that, that would be my argument. I mean, like I, I, I approach all this more from the electoral side. Like I, you know, the, the whole government and agency stuff, you know, that's more, that's more your realm. I don't even try to pretend like I know how a lot of that stuff works. I took admin law in the law school and just didn't pay attention really because the class was at 7.30 on Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Um, but I, I'm, I'm just, I'm to be honest, but I'm just thinking from like, a, I like winning elections. Like once, once we get people in office, like there are other people who are smart enough to figure out like how we actually get policy done. All right. So I don't, I don't. Right. But that's what we're talking about now. We've done the election. Biden, you know, Biden's coming in in January, bringing his people in. And now he has a colossal mess to clean up from the last four years. So, you know, what kind of expectations do we realistically or should we realistically have on this administration when, you know, it's not going to be a matter of, I don't know, sweeping reform. I don't think we can expect that. And I think if that's the standard that we're going to hold this administration to, we're going to fail. Well, I don't have that standard. I don't have any expectations for this administration. 
um, because of the last four years. And it's, and it's why I always thought this was a survival election. I'm saying from the standpoint of us not having the Senate and then still having conversations around messaging. And it's like, if you ever want us to actually have a shot at these sweeping reforms, you have to be willing to change your messaging. You just have to. That's not, that's not, a, that's not a, nego- there's no negotiating there because we just don't look 18% of people in this country select 52 senators. So you do not have a, like, there, there's no conversation here, folks. You don't have the luxury of actually getting your sweeping reforms unless you figure out how to tailor your message to just a small percentage of the people who select those other half a cent. I mean, we're talking about your Montanas, your Wyoming's, your South, your so on and so forth. Like, we don't have that luxury. So yes, it might work on, you know, the house level to a certain extent, even though we lost plenty of races there. Then there's also the aspect of like, hey, the messaging was bad this cycle. And so therefore, you know, we lost some state legislators in other spots we didn't think we would. And so now there are some big states we're going to gain electoral votes and gain congressional seats where Republicans are going to be, you know, unilaterally responsible for redistricting. So I totally understand, like it's nuanced, right? Um, but I just- I, We can't focus on one without the other. You can't focus on getting the right people elected without focusing on what do they do when they get there? And how are they hamstrung when they got there? Because right now we are hamstrung in what we can do based on who is actually in office with us. I don't disagree with you. I don't think we've messaged that well either. But if you go out and talk to most regular Americans, they, they think Congress at large is the problem. They think Washington at large. Washington and Congress at large aren't the problem right now. It's Republicans. It is Mitch McConnell. But we haven't even messaged that well. And the difference there is like people know, people know for whatever reason, I don't agree with it, right? But they, they have successfully mashed AOC and, you know, the squad as just these purveyors of tearing down democracy. And it's just like there's an easy way to put Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump on a bunch of ads and make them look like Satan. That's not a hard task. Can't we just turn on the news for that? Just why, why don't we, <laughs> but we, I'm saying, why don't we do it? You know, it's like, like every single site, like the cycle before it was Pelosi, Schumer, liberal Democrats, this cycle, it was AOC and the squad. Like all that stuff is, is like very much so race-based anti-Semitic like look. So I get that. I recognize that. So let me just name that. But like, it's, it's why why haven't we adapted our tactics to the 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 playing field that politics is now on? Like everyone should be aware of the amount of <clears throat> bills and everything Mitch McConnell has held up for the past decade, and it's almost like we don't know that. There's there's this understanding that like Congress is broken, Washington is broken, but whereas Republicans blame these ultra liberal so called socialist people and then place that blame on every other Democrat. Democrats are just like, oh, Washington is just, you know, like, do we have that same level? And this is a question, genuinely. Maybe you know people that I don't, you know, know. Do we have that same level of disdain for Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy? I mean, within political circles, within people who are paying attention, absolutely. Yes. The problem is that the vast majority of people in this country don't want to follow politics. They don't want to have anything to do with it. You know, they'll maybe read a headline, but they're not reading the story. They're not looking for other articles on things. You know, and they don't like negative ads. So, you know, run a nasty ad about Pelosi, it may backfire on you. You know, I mean, it's not like she lost, (laughs) you know? Um, And 
although I guess studies have shown that people hate negative ads, they've all, the studies have shown that they actually do work. Yeah. I mean, yeah. look at all the, <laughs> look at all the things that were piled upon Hillary Clinton. Right. Yeah. And how many of those things were not anywhere close to, you know, correct. I was having a conversation this past weekend with somebody who's like, you know, I, I just couldn't vote for her. I just couldn't bring myself to, you know, or I, I did bring myself to finally do it because, you know, I just thought Trump was so bad, but you know, she just had so many problems. And I'm like, what problems? My water. What, what, what are you talking about? Um, I also found the elusive um, Democrat who voted for Clinton and then Trump. Apparently they exist because mm. I found one. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just a really interesting conversation because all they're listening to are the sound bites. And, you know, you know, Pizzagate, which was such a fabrication of some, you know, Hollywood sci-fi director. I mean, so far out there and people bought it. There's still those conspiracy theories going around, you know, you know, swirling around Epstein and, you know, his relation to the Clintons and, you know, it doesn't stick to the Trumps. No. You, they have pictures of the three of them together and we all focus on the Clintons. Yeah. What? Well, how does that work? I mean, people people see what they want to see and they don't look beyond the headlines. And I mean, how many how many voters have you seen working at a polls who are literally sitting in their car, like scrolling their phone, trying to figure out who to vote for while they're sitting in the parking lot? Yeah, don't but I don't, I don't blame... I don't blame the public at large. I blame I blame democratic messaging, like because I, and, and Republicans do that too, right? They'll, they, but they just go in and just vote for everybody with an R by their name, and they just default to blaming everything on AOC, Schumer, Pelosi, and Elon Omar. And it's just like I think my argument is at a certain point, like yeah, I want to be a moral, high grounded human being, but at a certain point, you just got to recognize the terms that the game are being played on. And we're just not playing those terms. Like every, every, you don't even have to be a politically involved person. Every person who, you know, votes every two years, not even in your local stuff, just vote every two years. They should know that what they should have this belief that whatever it is they want to see done in this country is not being done. It's Mitch McConnell's fault. And, and, and for some reason we, we don't have anything like that. And I just even I, his own electorate doesn't have that. Yes. <laughs> I mean, forget the country at large, even in his own state, they don't have that. Yeah. In a state with high propensity of high of, of opioid uh, overdoses, in a state with uh, some of the worst health care there prior to the high ACA, poverty rates, high poverty. I mean, like, like um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, we can go on and on with this, but I, I think that's the big thing. Is for, for me, it's just messaging. We've said this over and over again, um, but I, I just, I, I don't know when we're ever going to see a, see a change. And that's unfortunate. Yeah, well, and when are we going to move forward as yeah, a country? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, you know, like I said, we're cleaning up the mess from the past four years, which to be fair, I don't think can happen in four years. I think it's going to take probably a decade, maybe longer to clean up all of the the messes that have been created. All of, you know, we have a legacy of this administration for decades because of all of the judicial appointments that have been made. You know, everything that's going on in the courts isn't going to change. You know, a lot of civil servants were hired during this time period. 
And despite the fact that there's not supposed to be any sort of political litmus test in hiring, a lot of those positions had one. Somewhere, somehow had one. You know, I always, of course, default to the immigration world because that's what I know the best. But if you look at the immigration judges that were hired over the past four years, something like a full 50% had never participated in an immigration court case before getting on the bench. Not a one. How in the world does anyone think that somebody who has never even seen an immigration case, let alone participated in one, is qualified for that position? How in the world can you tell me that they were hired on their merits? You know, and, and to be fair, there is probably a very small percentage that do have the qualifications. They served it as an administrative law judge somewhere else, so they're well-versed with how to run a court, that kind of thing. But the vast majority of those people that were hired have no idea. And what do you think that, what do you think their decisions look like? A, they rely on the government attorneys because they're in their courtroom all the time. You know, the government attorneys, much like a prosecutor in a criminal case, show, oh, here's, here's the law, here's what you're supposed to do, judge. So these prosecutors, you know, immigration version of prosecutors are training the judges. Do you think they have a lot of sympathy for what's going on with the people on the other side? I mean, it's, it's a very one-sided view. You look at the other 50%-ish of the immigration judges that have come on. Sure, they had immigration experience. The vast majority of them have no private experience. They're all government attorneys. You can't tell me, and, and to be fair, some of those are friends of mine. I worked with them. You know, Some of them are, are absolutely wonderful. I'm not saying they're not. But there's a bent to this. Yeah. Is it, you know, when we're looking at the macro level and not micro on individual people, when we're looking at the macro level, you cannot tell me that politics didn't, didn't fit into that. For sure. And these are the people making the decisions in immigration cases, you know, and there are a lot of things like asylum, which we've heard a lot about in the news, that have a discretionary factor. You know, does the judge believe the story? Does the judge believe the story is bad enough to rise to this level? So we're putting people who already have a healthy skepticism of immigration on the bench. And what do we think is going to happen? Hmm. You know, and there's no way to get these people out, you know, to just be like, just kidding. We revoke your offer because they're in their positions and they're not appointed. Yeah. You know, so we, we will see ramifications of this for decades. You know, and thank goodness for some of the, you know, um, nonprofits out there like the ACLU who've been hammering <laughs> these issues, hammering these judges. You know, there's there's one judge or two judges out of Batavia, New York, so western Western New York, that the ACLU filed a suit against, and it was because they had something like a ninety six percent denial rate for immigration bond. So if you wanted to get bond, they said no. In you know the vast majority of cases, which is extremely high rate as compared to immigration judges across the country. So what happened? You, you think these people aren't still immigration judges? Of course they are. And now they're hearing remote hearings for detained people in Louisiana. So now the ACLU in New York can't touch them, even though they're sitting in New York because their jurisdiction is in Louisiana. You know, this, this 
court, you know, the court decision that said you have to, you know, use the law in making the determinations about bond, you know, doesn't really apply to them because they're not hearing cases in New York. I mean, so you, you play this whack-a-mole game because you can't get rid of the immigration judges that are clearly problematic. You know, and I, so I know the information about one of those judges. I don't know any information about the other one, but she came on with no immigration experience. Absolutely none. She was a prosecutor for the federal government. You know, so she had a lot of experience in courtrooms and that kind of thing, but no immigration experience or like only experience. tangential, maybe. I mean, that's that's the problems we face with. And it's going to take decades, absolute decades to to clean them up. Nope. And yeah, we are we are 100 percent aligned and agree. I mean, look, we've lost the court for about 40 years, um, 30 years, if we're lucky. And I think like that's that's where a lot of my frustration comes is in order to to enact sweeping change and reform anytime in the next decade or two, like what we're going to need to overhaul the electoral map at every level, not just, you know, house Senate president, but also like statewide races, you know, state legislators, state legislators to a certain extent to be responsible for redistricting and 2030, you know, and, and those need to be the kind of things that we have our, our sort of mind and focus on. Because like you said, this, these four years, I have low expectations, not because I don't like Biden or, or Harris or the administration. I have low expectations because of the, the, the girth of, you know, gutting to everything that was uh, a positive coming from the Obama administration having to get back uh, and be reinstituted. And so um, I, I think that, that that's the overall argument for me is just, and, and I think you just highlighted it just within the sphere of, of immigration is that we've got we have an inordinate amount of structural deficiencies in place now, not just the the quote unquote unfairness of the map, but also, again, the courts, which are huge. Well, and you and you can extrapolate it out. It's not just the immigration courts. It's at every level in right. the federal system. Right. You know, even even appointed judges, you know, there were a lot of vacancies, you know, coming out of the Obama era and Trump filled them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean. The Supreme Court is flashy. We all like to talk about it. You know, obviously the highest law, you know, the highest court of the land. The vast majority of cases aren't coming to the don't Supreme there. Court. Yep. They don't get that. No, they're at much lower levels. And so if you have, you know, your Amy Barrett's at the lower levels, those are the decisions you're going to get. And if you have mm-hmm. them at the circuit court levels, you know, and yes, she, you know, was on the seventh before coming up, you know, so she was already there, although didn't he appoint her there as well? So, I mean, that, it's kind of a false equivalency there, That's but right. you know, yeah, right. But I mean, just think about it. You have the Supreme court at every level. You have the yeah. six to three at every level. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. and hopefully those judges will act in accordance with the law. We've definitely seen that happening with all of the election results. Yeah. Um, the courts, even Trump appointees are saying like, what are you doing here? Like, there's no legal basis for what you're doing which is exactly what they're supposed to do, right? They're supposed to apply the law. They're not supposed to be using their political persuasions, but we all know that that happens, you know? And if there's a close call, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna go to one side and it may not be the side that, you know, we want. Yeah, my concern there is they'll they'll, they'll do that for, you know, things that are obvious, like, you know, election law or you know, anything along those lines. But if you get a sweeping bill that gets rid of, you know, qualified immunity, you know, have, have, have we, have we built such structural deficiencies within our system to where those types of sweeping reforms will be struck down if we don't build enough consensus for those things amongst non 
black, Latinx, Native, Asian. I, I think that 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 is the cusp, and I probably maybe should have said that better and more succinctly previously. But that that's the thing. It's not a matter of like me feeling like this is a bad slogan. It's a matter of we have, like I mentioned, there's there's so we are we're we are playing as the underdog for the next decade at least, <laughs> and so for us to get anything that actually changes this country in a positive way, passed and sustained there has to be a consensus amongst Americans. And, you know, we need a little bit of the folks who, if you say defund the police, might be like, ah, get away from me. But if you actually sit, if you change the slogan a little bit, do some organizing, have some town halls, knock on their door, sit down, have coffee, they'll come around to it. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing is I, I, we're getting out-organized right now because messaging is a part of organizing. So I think that's the, that's the, that's the best way to wrap it up is we've just, we've gotten out-organized for the past 40 years. And well, so- so let's let's plug it right like ctk solutions that's i mean that's the whole point of why we form something is because you can't because you can't jump in mm. to a race 3 months before the election yeah if you're thinking about running in 2022 you should be organizing now <laughs> yes <laughs> i mean you probably should have already been organizing right yeah. you should have already been working on this but you should be organizing now because it's not a matter of like, I'll put out a flashy ad and that'll do me. Good luck. You know, we've seen, I mean, that's how Obama got elected. He put the organizing work into it. Mm -hmm. That's why we saw Georgia flipping because you had organizations that were doing the organizing work and it wasn't for a particular election. Yep. It was in general, we need to build our own systems to counteract the systems that we don't like. Mm -hmm. So if that's where you're sitting right now, give us a call, right? Like we'd happy, be happy to, to get your organiz organization in, in place, you know, and it's not going to be, you know, a huge effort like it is knocking doors the couple of months before elections, but, you know, get your organization in place so that when it is time to knock doors, that'll be so much easier mm -hmm. and so much more effective. And you already know what messaging is going to work well with the people you're talking to. <laughs> right. Because you've already talked to them. You've already laid the groundwork. Yeah. You know, something it. like seven touches before somebody will vote for you. Hey. Make the first three touches before the election even starts. You know, talk to them, listen to them. One of the biggest complaints we heard out of the, you know, 2016 election was nobody felt that the parties, either party was listening to them. Mm -hmm. So let's listen. Let's do it right now. I don't. I don't want to add anything else. Um, I think you should close this out. I just. No. That's our show for today, folks. Um, <laughs> I know, right? That's our show. If you're thinking about running, <laughs> give us a call. We'd be happy to to help you out in whatever you're running for. Um, and I guess tune in next week for another episode of the base. Yep. www.ctk.solutions. Or you can email us info at ctk charlie tango kite dot solutions. This is the base. <laughs>